pray that you would take any sense of over-familiarity, any sense of, yeah, I know, I know what the love of God is, and you would smash, <laughs> you would smash that lie, <laughs> because the reality is there's so much more for us to experience in this moment, there's so much more for us to know about what it means to be pursued by the heart of God, to be pursued all the days of our lives by his love and his mercy and his grace and his goodness. So God, we just acknowledge in this moment that you are love. And our greatest desire is to know you more. Our greatest privilege, God, is to know you. And wherever we're at, God, however we've come into this building this morning, I thank you that it's the same message for every person because of what Jesus did. that you are welcome, you are welcome to experience his love today. And I thank you that you are so good at your job, God. You are so good at your job. That you are the one that's leading us into more and more. That you're the one that's perfecting us. And we welcome you to, to transform us this morning by your word and by your spirit for your glory, God. Amen. You might have noticed that I jumped on the stage at one point and... Uh, gave Amy at least two minutes warning. <laughs> I actually would love her to just come and share a, a really brief testimony of what it, what it looks like for someone to realize that the God of the universe is pursuing her. <laughs> two minutes here only happened really recently for me. And, uh, and that song, Reckless Love, the bridge part particularly, is, is like an anthem of my life. There's no shadow that he won't light up and no mountain that he won't climb up to come after me. And um, I guess the testimony part and the bit that's very vulnerable and very significant for me is that uh, I had told myself or I, I had believed a lie that I needed to, to pursue him. And of course we do have to go after him, so you know what I mean, right? But it was my responsibility and I felt the weightiness of like, I'm coming after you, God. Where are you? I'm, I, I just want to know. I want to experience you. I want to know your love in my heart. Uh, and I felt like it was all, I felt like it was all me doing the work. I'm like, you're going to do anything toward me, God? This is all just me coming after you, spending time with you, putting time aside, going, are you going to meet me now? Are you going to meet me now? When am I going to experience your love? And la, la, la. And that went on for years and years and years through six years of Bible college too. And uh, and there came a point, almost 18 months ago, I'd say, March, a year and a bit ago, where where God, 
<laughs> said to me in one sentence something that broke 10 years worth of me going, where are you in this? Because it's me coming after you all the time. And there's, there's a whole other story of my life that I'm not going to even start going into where my heart wasn't really open even to him because it was after something else. And my, my affection was after something else. And so without even knowing it, I had shut down the bit that could receive his love for me. I, and I had no idea that that was going on. And then, and then he said to me at this, this one moment, he said, what do you think I've been doing for the last 10 years? Because he has been coming after and coming after and coming after. And I, without even really knowing it, had other things in my heart that, that I didn't want to lay down. You know that line in Job where it says, um, the thing that I fear most has come upon me. Well, there was this one thing in my life that I did not want to give up and I didn't want to say about. And I was just, no, that's not ever coming out. Well, it did. And it was great. And I got freedom and and it just the love of God just broke through in that moment but what I'd done is believed lie after lie after lie that it was my responsibility to feel his love whereas actually he was trying all this time to break into a heart that wasn't actually open to him even though years worth of being in church so so any of you guys who are years worth of being in church just check it for a second and go hang on is is am I believing anything that's purely religious purely traditional, purely just we've done this week in and week out and week in and week out because it's so easy, isn't it, to get into the routine of what we do in church. But actually, the routine of church is utterly, utterly, utterly meaningless, completely and utterly meaningless if it isn't about a God of love pursuing your heart and a, and a heart in you that can receive it and then give it back because like, we can love him because he first loved us, right? And so the pursuit of him, he's not got his favorites. He's, uh, well, actually, I'm his favorite, so, you know. Um, but, no, it's me. <laughs> um, there's, no, his love, and I love this as well, right? His love is not equal for each of us. It's unique for each of us, because you can't, you can't split it. Paula spoke of this ages ago when she was talking about having her kids. She loved Orla with all her heart, and then she had Ellie. What was she going to do, split it in half? But God's love for us is unique. And so his heart after you is, is just indescribably, incredibly beautiful and amazing. And that song about the shadows being lit up and the mountains being brought down, it's the story of my last year and a half, two years. And, and just it's God is amazing. And so like if your heart is struggling with any of the religious stuff or like feeling like he's not pursuing you or any of that stuff, I, I don't nix the meeting leader. She's she's going to take it from what I end with and make it incredible, right? <laughs> Me too. That's, that's like that's like six hands. Thanks, guys. I love you. But um, so you know, with two minutes, I didn't know I was going to say any of this, and it would be far more articulate if I could have written it down. Thanks. Um, I'll do a blog for you. <laughs> Who thinks Amy's incredible? <laughs> Me too. That's nearly that's a third. Like, that's like six hands. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I love you. But um, so you know, with two minutes, I didn't know I was going to say any of this, and it would be far more articulate if I could have written it down. Thanks. Sorry. Um, I'll do a blog for you. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Actually, you know, eighteen months ago, I, I, I probably couldn't have got Amy to just do that, because the reality is that as she's allowed her Father God to pursue her with his love, she's become more and more confident 
in who she is. She's, she's more and more vulnerable to stand up and go, do you know what, I haven't prepared this, but uh, here's my life. You know, and I, and I love that. It was a bit better than that. <laughs> 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 uh, but you know, we just sung that there's no wall he won't kick down. And I'm like, as I was singing it, I was like, absolutely. The moment we break, we, we break the agreement with the lie that the enemy sold us, God just comes and kicks that wall down. But he doesn't kick that wall down with that lie still there, because that's our choice. Choice that he gives us. Do you believe me, or do you want to believe what the enemy's telling you? And the moment we break agreement with the enemy, his love comes crashing in. And the walls come crashing down. And we begin to realize the reality of his love that's pursuing us all the days of our life. So, I want to um, just share very briefly this morning um, on, a, on a message you will have all heard a thousand times. And I want you to believe with me that there's something in this message for you this morning. That no matter how many times you've heard it, you can say, God, what are you saying to me? I, I, as I spent some time with him this morning, he said to me, it's actually a really funny thing. He just said, Nick, your face is all I see. <laughs> and I'm like, really hope that's not true. <laughs> but I actually, in worship, um, I, I allowed him in that moment to go, do you know what, Nick? I'm completely focused on you. I'm so captivated by you in this moment and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm right there and I feel like he's saying that to each one of you this morning. He's looking at you and he's going, do you know what? Your face, your presence, your life right now in this moment is all that I see because my love is so focused on what you need and where you're at and he wants you to experience something of his presence, his face, his love today. <coughs> the other thing I, I realized after I'd decided to bring a message um, on this this morning is that actually we, we've just looked at, um, or Mark's led us through uh, weeks of, of the prophetic and becoming a prophetic culture in this church, and his main message was follow the way of love. And I feel like that's partly what I'm doing. I'm still going, yeah, we, this is because we're following the way of love. But we're going into a, se a series about, uh, about what it looks like to be servants, um, servants in his kingdom, servants in an apostolic culture. What does it look like to serve him well, serve each other well? And I feel like God's going, yeah, get this message first because we're going into a season that if you don't hold this intention, it's going to mess you up. Because the reality is that lovers make the best servants, okay? So again, in order for us to pursue what he's saying to us in terms of how we serve, how we serve community, how we serve one another, how we serve him, we have to understand that actually it's all about love. <laughs> it's all about receiving his love because lovers make the best servants. So we're going to read from Luke 15. If you've got your Bibles, it's the... Um, we're going to look at the story of two sons who were in their father's house. It's often called, um, we call it the prodigal son story. I just want to give you the definition of, of what prodigal means. So according to the Webster's,
dictionary, the word prodigal means one who spends or gives lavishly, recklessly extravagant. Okay? Now, we often go, oh, that's because it's about the, the prodigal son and he just blew all of his inheritance and he spent rec- recklessly. Whereas I would like to say that this story is about a prodigal father. This is about a father who gives lavishly. This is about a father who, who loves with reckless extravagance. Yeah? So let's read the, the story of the prodigal father. Luke 15 Verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in, li- in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He pursued a local farmer to hire him. And uh, I need glasses. (laughs) And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He saw him coming. He was filled with love and compassion and he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. While he returned home, he heard music. Sorry, was working in the fields. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back from squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. 
He was lost, but now he is found. The thing that I, that struck me recently about this passage, because I have heard, you can imagine how many times I've heard this message preached. It's often a salvation message. It's often about people who, who don't know the Father and they come home, they come into his house and they are welcomed in. And, and the church, the message is the older brother is like, hey, how are you treating that that person that's coming in that doesn't know what it's like to be in this house right now. The thing that struck me this time was that this is a message about two sons in his father's house. This is a message of sonship that where two sons were missing out on the love of God. Okay? I want to challenge you that the younger son in this passage, maybe just even for this message today, was someone who was a son in his father's house. And he said, Dad, I want the inheritance. I want all the stuff. I want to be great at prophesying. I want to have an awesome healing ministry. This is my inheritance because I'm a son. I get to do all of this stuff. And he made the inheritance the main thing. The actual word for inheritance in the Greek is the word bios. It means, um, it means life. He literally wanted his father dead so that so that he could have the life. <laughs> and uh, it was so shameful that actually in that moment the father could have stoned him to death because for a son to actually wish their father dead and to want his inheritance in that moment was, was shameful and worthy of being stoned. But the father was like, all right, Here's your share of the inheritance. All I have is yours. You can have it. And so with that inheritance that the son got, it, because it was about the inheritance, he focused on that and began to step away from his father's house, step away from his father's presence. And as he did that, he realized there was a void that was coming in his life and he began to try and fill it. Fill it with spending money, fill it with probably drinking alcohol, fill it with, we don't know that he, that he um, met with prostitutes, that's what the older brother suspects. But he began to try and fill this void that was left in his heart because actually that void, that place in his heart was always meant to be filled with the love of the Father. It's a challenge to me, this passage, because I want to make sure that in this house, in my father's house, my father is the most important thing. His presence, who he is, is the thing that fills me with love and all that I need. And yes, I can enjoy the inheritance. Yes, I can prophesy. Yes, I can see healings. Yes, I can raise the dead. I can do all of the things because of, of who he is. 
I don't make that the main thing. Because if you make it the main thing, and then you don't see someone get healed, suddenly your whole life begins to fall apart. I absolutely know that the Father wants us to walk in our inheritance. I am not preaching a message of don't do these things. I'm preaching a message of here was a son who took his eyes off his father. And when we do that, our lives just begin to drift away. And we end up in, in a mess sometimes, in a proper mess with pigs, which were shameful for a Jewish boy. And yet the message to us this morning is whatever it's looked like for you, wherever you're at as a Christian, the father was looking. He was waiting for his son to return. And when he saw him, even though he had been doing shameful things and had wished his father dead even, the father begins to run to his son. You know, Amy talked about experiencing the pursuit of God. Part of that is realizing that in this moment, our daddy, God, is running to us. No matter what we're covered in, his heart is running to you, like that wave we talked about. And when he got hold of his son, the Bible says, my Bible says he kissed him. Actually, the, the word is he repeatedly kissed him. He kissed him over and over and over. He just kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. And before the son could say, Dad, I'll just be a slave in your house. I just realize that it's better to be serving you. The father stopped him and said, you're my son. So he gave him a ring of authority, a ring that says, you're my boy, and you have the, the power and the authority in this family. He gave him a robe of identity and said, you look like me. You're my boy. He gave him sandals on his feet that said, you're not a slave. You're a son, because slaves don't wear shoes. And he said, it's time to party. It's time to celebrate. You see, when we experience the forgiveness of God in our lives, no matter where we're at, the result is joy. The result is a lavish feeling of joy. That he's not going, okay, well, you know, when you've sat on the naughty seat for a while, you just sit in the back corner and, and stay quiet for a bit because... You've done a really bad thing. It's like, no. When you come and you receive the forgiveness of God, he celebrates you. One of the Bible passages talks about a Galio joy where he's jumping. Jesus is jumping around because he's so excited that you've come back. And then you have the older brother who's like, brilliant. He could go off and do whatever he wanted. But actually, I've been serving, 
I've been serving and serving and serving. And I haven't had a fattened calf or whatever it is. What is it? Calf. Goat. Goat. Animal of some description. Meat. And I just, I found myself checking my heart again when I was reading this passage going, Nick, watch that you're not trying to perform for your father. That you're not trying to work for his approval. That you're not trying to impress him in your worship. Because the reality is, just like my parents are here today, I was, I was thinking about it and I was thinking, I absolutely know that no matter what I preach this morning, it's not going to change my parents' opinion of me at all. They're not going to go, oh, well, that was rubbish. Thought you were better than that. I know that they sit there with this. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so emotional today. <laughs> they sit there with this sense of, Nick, we're so proud of you. You don't say anything. We're so proud of you. We love you. And as we go into a series of servanthood, of what it looks like to serve, we have to understand that actually our dad just wants to be with us. He just wants to love on us. He just wants us to know that for him, the most important thing is that we experience his presence, that face-to-face -face encounter with his love. And yes, it's brilliant that the older son was serving. It's brilliant that he, he cared about his dad, unlike the younger son who had no concept of, of anybody else. It was all about him. The older son was going, actually, I need to do this. Who else is going to do it if I don't do it? And he's working and working, and he's missing the fact that he also is a son and gets to go in. I just felt the check in my heart. Even this morning as I knew I was coming to preach, it was like, God, I'm not trying to impress you. <laughs> because I stand in the delight of my father. And actually his presence is what it's about. Not what I'm doing. Not how much I've given him this week. Not how many quiet times I've had or how much of his Bible I've read. It's about whether I'm enjoying the celebration, <laughs> whether I'm enjoying being with him and serving from a place of knowing that I'm, I'm his kid. I'm loved. At some point in the near future, <laughs> hopefully, I'm going to talk about the word compassion because it's been, it's been blowing me away. I'm looking for my water and I'm thinking a little child wandered off with it. Thank you. <laughs> Note to self, don't put ice in your water bottles. It's noisy. The, the bit where the father, the father sees his boy coming home and is, is filled with compassion 
What does that mean? What is that word, compassion? Because I just feel like, I, I, you know, obviously we've been away in America, we've, um, we've been to various different churches recently, and I keep hearing the same thing about, it's about compassion. What, what is that? And I know what the dictionary tells me it is, and I know it's got something to do with, with empathy, and it's got something to do with, with kindness and mercy and showing that to others. But why is the father filled with compassion in that moment that causes him to run to his son? Why is it that when, whenever Jesus performed a miracle in the Gospels, it says, filled with compassion, he raised the dead. Filled with compassion, he healed the sick. What is that? And this word, compassion, that the father has is, is a Greek word, which I'll probably mispronounce but it's um, splankmino oh, see? Splankminozai or something like that. Get the dictionary to tell you what the Greek word for compassion in Luke 15 is. But it's about, um, it's about the bowels yearning. The father was so filled with compassion that his insides were yearning and causing him to move. Now, interestingly, we have a splanchnic nerve in our, in our bodies, which feeds all of our vital organs. Okay, so it's something at the in the very depth of our being that begins to yearn for something. And I'll preach on this properly um, whenever I next speak. But I just want to leave you with one thought, and that's that... In the Old Testament, when it talks about compassion, it's often three letters. And the first letter it, um, is a picture of, of the prince of the air. It, in this case, it's like, it's like not a good thing. It's, it's, it's the prince of darkness. Yeah? The third letter is like destruction, a flood that comes that's bringing destruction. So you've got the prince of the air, the enemy, and you've got destruction. And then you've got the third letter in between. This is all meaning compassion, okay? The third letter in between that means place of sanctuary, tower of refuge. And I feel like the father's bowels were yearning. The core of his being was being stirred because he could see that the enemy was wanting to bring destruction and God wanted to bring a place of safety. He wanted to bring a place of sanctuary, of restoration, of, um, of knowing that, that you, when you encounter the compassion of God, you, in the midst of what you're facing, can know him. You can know peace. You can know, you can know strength in the midst of that. Which is why when, when there was somebody who was sick, Jesus, filled with compassion, went in there. When you can know what it looks like for God to step into this moment. And you might be reading this passage of the, of the prodigal father this morning and going, yeah, I know this, Nick. I know the message of the younger son. I know the message of the older son. What does this mean for me? Well, I want to challenge you. 
You know, in, in Exodus 33, when God reveals himself to Moses, one of the first things he says is, I am a compassionate God. I want us as a church to go after what it means to be a compassionate people, filled with the compassion of Christ, to be able to step in to any situation that the enemy is wanting to bring to destroy in people's lives, and suddenly they encounter the compassion of Christ. They see us that understands how much God has shown his compassion to us, and they see us able to go and bring that compassion to other people. It might be that you know this message really well, but actually today you need to encounter the compassion of God in order to be able to leave this building and pour out the compassion of God. Pour out that love that so yearns in your being that you run to the person who doesn't know God's love that you run to the person that's so full of shame and guilt and is so separate from knowing that love, that you run outside when you see someone who thinks that serving is what it's all about. You run outside and go, come, come into the party. Come and know joy this morning instead of that because you are filled with the compassion of Christ. It might be that God touches you today with a revelation of compassion, which means that the person in your office is sick tomorrow morning suddenly knows that filled with compassion, you heal the sick. Knowing that when you make love the main thing, when you make his presence and being a child of God and enjoying your father's presence the main thing, then you get to enjoy the inheritance. <laughs> You get to do the stuff, and you get to change the world. So we're going to spend a bit of time inviting him to encounter us afresh. I know that he's already started that, but let's just see if there's any walls he wants to kick down. Yeah? One half a minute? Okay. Just that last verse where, where the son comes back and the father says, this, my son was dead, but now he's alive. And that's how Jesus sees us. And it's love so amazing, so divine. It deserves my soul, my life, my everything. I've actually asked four people um, when I was thinking about this. I just saw um, four people standing in the corners of the room and, uh, and they were just interceding over us as a congregation. Um, they, weren't, they weren't doing anything other than blessing what God was doing. So uh, I just, I'm saying that out loud just so that you know that in this moment, actually, yes, the God is, is running towards you, but other people are just choosing to partner with with him and, and, and are praying for you to encounter him. Yeah, They're not going to come and pray for you. They're not going to put their hands on you. They're not going to say anything to you. They're just, they're just believing that he's really good at his job. 
Yeah, if those four people would just do that, um, that'd be brilliant. If there's, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know what it's like to be, to be a son, to be a daughter in their father's house, I just want to give you an invitation this morning with every eye closed. <laughs> if you don't know what it means for you to be forgiven and restored and welcomed in to your Father's house, I say to you today that Jesus took on himself the punishment that you deserved and he willingly gave up his life that you could know God, that you could know that you're loved, that you could spend the rest of your life on earth knowing that you're a child of God. And you can spend the rest of your life knowing that that life is eternal. That nothing can separate you from his love. So if that's you this morning, I want to say to you, don't, don't spend another day. Don't spend another day not knowing that you're loved by God. Because life's hard enough. <laughs> We're designed to have our hearts filled with his love. And if you want to acknowledge what Jesus did for you on the cross and, and say that you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, that today could be a day where you step in to that love and you never, ever have to leave it. So if that's you, please, please make yourself known to one of the leaders of this church or, or someone and say, I want to do that. I want to do that. I don't want to spend another day. spent the first bit of this sermon saying it wasn't about salvation and suddenly it became about that I don't know why but God in this moment we recognize that you're pursuing us <laughs> that your bowels are yearning inside for us to know the compassion of a, of a dad that runs that doesn't care what, what it looks like or what it means, but you lift up that robe and you run towards us. And wherever we've been and whatever we've done, and however we've walked away from you, God, meaning to or not, we recognize in this moment that we've been making or we've not been making you the main thing. So God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us? 
And if that's you, I want you to feel him kissing you repeatedly. What does it look like for the God of this universe to kiss you repeatedly? To throw his arms around you? What does it look like for, for him to, to give you a ring of authority this morning? To restore to you your rightful place? I want you to feel that robe of righteousness, his robe, being placed upon your shoulders. And for every power and principality to see that when they look at you, they see Jesus. They see a child of God. They see someone with the identity of God. <laughs> and maybe he he wants to, to give you give you those sandals that says, do you know what? We break the lie this morning that you're a slave. You're not welcomed back as a slave. You're welcomed into his presence as his child, as his son, as his daughter, as his heir. That you get to wear those, those sandals that says that you're his kid. And everything you do and you choose to do is from that place of knowing you're his kid. Father, we break the lie of performance again in this place. We break the lie that we need to try and impress you, that, um, that we need to try and get your attention because, because you're so busy, that, that actually we need to have done enough for you and, and before we can come before your presence. God, we break that lie in the name of Jesus and we say, Jesus, you did enough. You paid for it all on that cross. And it's by grace that we've been saved. We can know a grace this morning afresh that says, I love you because I love you, not because of what you do. Father, we're, we're very aware that, that, that it's all about the privilege of knowing you. And I pray for every person in this room and every family represented and those that aren't here today, God, that the compassion of Christ would 
would come flooding into their lives this week. <laughs> that everyone would know that, that whatever they're doing, whatever they're facing, whatever the enemy is trying to bring in to their family, that there is a place of sanctuary, there is a place of refuge, there is a place of strength to know that we are not alone in that and that God's love is going to make a way for us. And that everyone we meet this week, that we get to pour out that compassion of God into their lives. That as we hear the stories of loneliness and destruction and of, of sickness and all of the, the dysfunction, the disconnection, God, that we see in this world, I thank you that you made it all about connection. That you said, I want to know you, for you to know me, and for others to know that they are not alone they can know the compassion of Christ in their situation through you. So give us a fresh revelation, God, as a church of what it looks like to be filled with compassion. Break our hearts, God, with what breaks yours. and stir up our guts. <sighs> Just put your hand on your stomach. I can feel a fire of God in some, some people's stomachs and we, God, we invite you to stir us up. Stir up our guts, God, to love like you love. Fire of God, come. Fire of God, come. Every person would leave this room knowing that at the very core of their being, that he's compassionate. That he's pursuing you with love and goodness. And we get to pour it out. Not because we have to, <laughs> because we get to. <coughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. pray that this week we would encounter you like never before. That we'd make you the main thing. And that each of us next week would have testimonies of what it's like to be changed by your love.